podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Boom, the boys are back with the Thursday Whip Around Show, where I get all my good friends from across the state, across the region, and across the country to get us ready for all the action with K-State Sports this weekend, and we dive a little bit into the Big 12 as well. As always, I'm going to kick this off talking about anything that didn't make it into the game preview episode yesterday. Uh, but you know what? There really isn't a ton of news that broke. I'm still trying to chip away and try to get a little bit more injury clarity on who we should expect and shouldn't expect to play on Saturday. It sounds like Jacksonine will be back ready to play. Uh, I'm hearing that Josh Hayes probably will. There's cautious optimistic that TJ Smith will. I do not personally expect Sean Robinson to suit up against his former team at Missouri. Uh, So that's just me. I will try to keep my ear to the ground. Uh, There won't be another show. This is the last one I'm recording, so I won't be able to break it on the show. But there are great folks covering KC Athletics who will be able to get you some of that news before kickoff. Now, all sorts of stuff on Twitter, on Instagram, now on the Kansas City Star, 27 News, all this type of stuff. There's one story that's dominating. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not worrying about that on this show. But what I am going to talk about is the, you know, the rumors, the whispers about, you know, what the possible attendance number on Saturday is going to be. I've heard it from a few people connected to K-State that they're they're actually starting to whisper, throw around the 53,000 number. Now, this would be the first time since they closed up the stadium that they hit a number like that. I don't think that's a number we're going to see. I think it's ultimately going to be announced around 51,500, 52,000 at most. But... There are a few people who are more connected than me that have even flirted with the idea of saying setting an all-time attendance record. Now, I don't see any way that's possible. They used to sell the selling room or standing room only tickets and folks would crowd up on the hill. There used to be more seats, you know, with those bleachers up above, uh, I think it was section nine and section 17. I don't know. Just those bleacher corner seats. I don't think there was a big net gain of seats when those went away in the south end zone uh, suites were put in. Uh, so that would be a little surprising to me. I'd be shocked if they sold an extra, you know, 2,500 standing room only seats uh, because I just I don't think there's any place for them to go. I think technically the only standing room only spot in the stadium is behind the north end zone. So, I, I, again, I would be shocked if we're seeing a number around 53,000. But, again, there are folks that are more connected than me that have been kind of floating out that number, floating out that idea that it could be an all-time high 
and it'd have to go above 53,000 by a little bit, but one of those all-time high-attended games at Bill Snyder Family Stadium on Saturday. Now, if that's the case, if the atmosphere is there, if the fan engagement is there, and again, a lot of that has to do with what the students bring to the table, and again, they're having their own drama right now, but it could be a super fun night if you get that win on Saturday. But as we touched on during the game uh, preview, if you don't find a way to win that game, I do think it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to take an upset win versus Oklahoma and then turning around beating Texas Tech and Iowa State to get back that fan engagement, that fan fever pitch to get another sellout this season. Take care of business versus Missouri, and if you do it with a little swagger, you do it with you know a lot of energy, make it a fun game. Who knows how many tickets they could sell before that two-lane game. And I would imagine, even if things don't go our way in Norman, that Texas Tech game and that Oklahoma State game a little bit later on the season, maybe even that Texas game, will have a near-capacity crowd again, giving us at least a third, maybe fourth sellout on the season. Now, the only other thing I'm going to touch on here before we kick it off to our primer segments for this Thursday Whip Around episode is we're only two months out. Yes, only two months out from Jerome Tang and Company's first regular season game. It is going to come faster than any of us would like, mainly because that means football season is going to come and go pretty fast. But it's only two months away. We're going to try to do our best to cover the buildup to that season, even though we're hoping to have a hunt for Arlington going on at the same time. And we might dive into a little bit of that during these Thursday whip arounds moving forward. I'm still working on trying to get Jerome Tang and people from his staff on the show, hoping to make that happen before the season tips off. But again, it's only two months away. And I think there is a lot of excitement Uh you know, not just because of Jerome Tang, but uh, uh, the, the entire athletic department. I think there's a lot of excitement, and I think if we see football capitalize on it, it's only going to make it easier for Jerome Tang and company to keep the momentum going this year as they look to get 18 wins and hashtag 18 and we're in, the hunt for 18, to get back to the NCAA tournament. Now, before we get to the K-State Primer, I'm going to give a shout-out to my friends, Manhattan Brewing Company. Folks, They have a great event going on with Stan Weber tomorrow night as you're listening to this. Tomorrow night, Friday night, where Stan Weber is going to be in the house. They're going to be raising money for charity. So get down there, listen to the color commentator, the analyst for your K-State Wildcats. Drink a couple good beers and hang out for a good cause. Remember, every time you're in Manhattan, if you want the tastiest, the freshest, the most refreshing and delicious beer in the entire state and region, go to Manhattan Brewing Company. They have the coolest tap room that I've ever had the pleasure of visiting. Let them know Bosco's voice sent you. Get a couple pints, then take a four-pack or two four-packs, you know, 16 32, take 32 beers with you to your tailgate and be the most popular guy or girl in the parking lot. You will thank me later. They have something for every single beer drinker out there. 15 beers on tap the last time I was in there. I I could have spent an entire week in there. That's how much I love Manhattan Brewing Company. So check them out the next time you're in Manhattan. Now, for the K-State Primer, he is... 
the new kid on the block when it comes to running one of these K-State sites, but is a familiar voice. It is my friend Mason Both, who now is the head honcho over at the Kansas State rival site, Emaw Online. So let's listen to Mason. Let's see what he thinks is going to happen this weekend, K-State versus Mizzou, and I'll talk to you in just a little bit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Missouri week, and I am the one that was tabbed to bring you the primer for K-State against Missouri. Who better to tell you about what is going to happen between two teams that used to be rivals than a guy that was 13 years old when they last played and doesn't remember a ton about games between K-State and Missouri? That's right, Mason Voth, the new managing editor of the K-State Rivals site, EMA Online. If you haven't checked us out yet, at least give it a go. Give us a shot to show you that we have some different things in mind. You can catch our weekly conversation with Deuce Vaughn, as well as plenty of other things to go on. So it's me, Alec Bussey, and Gabe Swartz, as we have a lot of cool things still to come uh, as we, we kind of get our feet under us. But nice to be back to covering K-State full-time, and uh, I look forward to continuing to give everybody the opportunity to stay up to date with the Cats. Last time out for K-State against South Dakota, they came away with a nice win. They got out to their lead early, and then there wasn't much else left for them to do over the course of the game. The defense exceeded expectations. I thought that South Dakota would probably get a score or two in the game. I didn't think that they would be held to a shutout, but the K-State D came through. They took care of business, and they were flying all over the field. Really impressive what they did. Offensively, maybe a little bit left to be desired. It was a pretty effortless 120-plus for Deuce Vaughn on the ground, but outside of that, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more in the passing game. So that's really the only complaint that I have from South Dakota, but I think K-State's in a really nice spot moving forward. Expectations that... You know, I I had loftier expectations for this offense going into that game, and maybe that was unfair of me uh, because I thought they'd try to get Adrian Martinez really comfortable uh, in the offense and and get him into a situation where you kind of have to get him back mentally ready from all the disastrous stuff that he went through at Nebraska. Uh, I think that Chris Kleiman took the approach of, hey, he, he didn't turn the ball over, so that's a win. That helps the mental side. But I do think that there was a few things that were maybe left out there that they could have uh, capitalized on. I thought maybe they'd try to let him air it out a little bit more. But, you know, I'll I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that they were trying to hold some things back against Missouri and we'll see him uh, in a little bit more peak form coming this week. But overall, K-State didn't really do anything to change my mind of them moving forward. Just a a couple of questions in there that maybe have me a little bit concerned, uh, whether that ends up being Adrian Martinez not throwing the ball very effectively or Chris Tennant missing a couple of kicks in the game, and even one of the PATs that went through also looked a little bit shaky. So those are some of the question marks on the field. Obviously, they lose Taylor Poitier for the season, and that really unfortunate, not just for him specifically because he's been through a lot. Now he has to miss another season, but also for K-State and a guy that they obviously had a lot of trust and, and thought that he could do a lot of good things on the offensive line for. In the grand scheme of things, though, they're still okay depth-wise, I think. They they have guys in position that they were going to try and cycle in anyways that they feel good about and that the staff clearly trusts. So they certainly think that they will be okay at least 
for losing Poitier. Now, if another guy goes down and we start to have more conversations about what happens next, then things get pretty thin in a hurry. But it actually would appear that one of the spots that K-State was going to be able to handle some losses this year was the offensive line uh, because so far so good for everybody that's played on that side of things. As for the game against Missouri, obviously we, we think about who needs to step up. You can always throw Deuce Vaughn's name out there, but he's such a constant that he's going to step up no matter the situation. So when it comes down to what Missouri doesn't do well, it is certainly defending the run, or at least last year they really struggled with that. But they have a whole slew of transfers. They kind of revamped their defense. So it's kind of tough to tell, especially after week one when they played a really crappy Louisiana Tech team, as to what they're actually going to be and what they can do. Um, But K-State's certainly going to have to try and figure out a way to uh, get the run to go because that could be a way to exploit Missouri. But they are going to have to fight and do some work of their own to try and get the passing game to work because Missouri is going to be able to force them to do that. They know that Deuce Vaughn is going to be the man that is getting the ball a majority of the time. So they're going to try and make Adrian Martinez beat them, and he's going to have to do that. But for a quarterback to beat somebody with his arm, he needs the other half of that connection to step up, and that 4K State needs to be these receivers that were pretty underwhelming against South Dakota. That's a part of the Adrian Martinez narrative that uh, people pointed out on Saturday, but I think can't be forgotten, is that it takes two to tango. And Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, Cade Warner, whoever else, got to step up and actually make some plays and get open because there weren't always uh, enough situations for those guys to be there like that. So the wide receiver and quarterback combination has to be there for K-State on Saturday, and that's probably the biggest thing that's going to help them get over the hump and win this game. Another thing that I think that they have to focus on is avoid any long lulls in scoring. We've seen this at times where they go through droughts in some of these non-conference games, and it can kind of grind things to a halt. In a game that you're going to have a packed stadium, a bunch of hate in there for Missouri, you don't want any of that. So make sure that you're always doing something. We don't go through any of the Courtney Messingham style, you know, three and outs and stalled drives over one long period. Certainly don't come out and start the third quarter and go 15 minutes with zero points. I would recommend Colin Klein not do that. So that would be uh, another thing that I think is important moving forward for the game. Now, when it comes down to if I'm going to give you my score prediction for this game, I'm not right now because I am not very good at this. Uh, so I'm, I'm on the fence about what I'm going to do uh, when I actually have to put this into writing later in the week. I do think K-State wins the game, though. I'm not 100% sure if it's by the uh, 9.5 that FanDuel popped off to start with. Uh, but maybe if I'm feeling frisky, I'll, I, I don't know, maybe I would say that they win by 10 points. But I'm just not 100% sure of if Missouri has improved and if some of the problems that we think we saw on Saturday against South Dakota are real problems for K-State. So I can't give you a real answer on that one right now. Uh, But like I said, no one better to talk about K-State Missouri than somebody that has not really seen a ton of K-State Missouri games in his lifetime like everybody else. Uh, I, I can remember 2011, everything before that, I've kind of wiped my memory of because they lost a lot of those games from like the 2006 to 2010 range. And then anything before that, like I was not paying attention to K-State football in any heavy way possible because I was seven or younger. 
I don't I don't know that I was the best person for this. I'm glad that I was able to do it for Scott though, and uh, for all the the Bosco's boys out in the wild right there. So the last thing I will let you know is you can find me now on Rivals, managing editor of the K-State site, EMA Online. We're having a good time over there. We have a lot of different unique content that has already come out, more that will be on the way. So plenty of opportunities for you to uh, get your K-State information or uh, different pieces of content in a different way than what you already do. I think that there's a, a lot of ways that you can kind of suck in and be a sponge to everything that's going on in the world of K-State athletics. So follow along over there. My personal Twitter handle is at the Real Mason V. Disclaimer, I started it when I was like, I don't know, probably 13 years old watching K-State beat Missouri for the first time in however long. And that was what all the, the stars were doing. Shaq was at the Real Shaq, so I had to be at the Real Mason V. It's stuck ever since, and now I don't think I'm ever going to change it. So that'll do it. I think the Cats beat Missouri, and hopefully you all have better memories of K-State and Missouri playing each other than really what I do because I don't remember Jack, so we might as well start with a good memory this weekend, right? And boom, thank you to my friend, Mason Voth, for taking care of the K-State Primer for us. I'm pumped to have Mason back full-time covering the Cats. He was elite on the radio. I have no doubt he's going to be elite over on EMA Online. Okay, now tapped up for the Mizzou Primer. I'm keeping it inside the sports drink family. Uh... I don't make a habit of listening to any Mizzou coverage, but the Mazodcast in the Sports Drink Network is a fun one. I think everyone should go check them out this week. I think they're going to have their preview show up very soon if they don't already. My guy Brendan is going to bring it to you, but before we kick it to him, my Sports Drink brother, remember, we are sponsored by Charlie Hustle. Guys, I know that the K-State launch week is over, right? The campus capsule has already dropped, but they just, because again, they sold so much K-State stuff again that they had to back order some of it. It's all coming soon, but they sold so much. They had to get a couple more new designs out there. They have their Catterday Tees and Lightweight Hoodie that are to die for. I already bought the lightweight hoodie. And I also just bought a brand new. It's a black Kansas State football vintage t-shirt. It has one of the throwback helmets on it. I'm literally wearing one of their shirts right now. They are so comfortable. Also, they heard you. They have the Deuces Loose, the official Deuce Vaughn t-shirt in youth sizes. So you can get them for your little kiddos now as well. I can't to see can't wait to see what they come up with next. I love Charlie Hustle. If you want the greatest officially licensed K-State gear for Saturdays, and again, if you want something for your closet for red now that the NFL's kicking off on Sunday, check out Charlie Hustle. Now, let's get to my buddy Brendan to hear the Missouri side of things for this renewed rivalry.
Hello, K-State fans and Bosco's boys. It's Brendan Anthony. I'm with the Mazad cast here in Columbia, Missouri. Gosh, it's been a long time since we've seen each other, but it looks like we're going to get a nice introduction again on Saturday. So let me tell you a little bit about the Tigers if you uh, haven't been paying attention, and I'm sure that you haven't. Mizzou is 1-0 on the season after a uh, glorious win over, checking my notes, Louisiana Tech. Uh, We covered, so that's a big deal. And uh, Missouri is a team full of question marks. So I know that you're confident. I know that you're ready to beat the uh, Big 12 defector and SEC pretender Missouri Tigers. But let me tell you what you got to look forward to. Number one, you're going to hear the name Luther Burden a lot. He is the biggest recruit Missouri's had in 10 years. And although he had limited usage in the first game, it was quite apparent his athleticism. And he's going to be trouble if Missouri's new quarterback, Brady Cook, another question mark, can get him the ball, he's going to be a problem. But it's only his second game, and hey, five months ago he was going to senior prom, so who knows what we're going to see. If Cook struggles, you might see transfer quarterback Jack Abraham, who has been, I think, at three different universities before transferring into Missouri, and I don't know, I think he is about 26 years old. You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. So he's got a lot of experience, but he didn't win the job in fall camp, but He is the fallback position if Brady Cook doesn't work out. Defensively, I'm sure you guys are licking your chops if you're looking at Missouri's defense from last year. They were terrible. Historically bad. Garbage. Hot garbage. garbage. But new defensive coordinator Blake Baker has seemingly got the Tigers on the tracks. They looked fast. They looked much stronger. And the biggest flaw we saw from the defense was that on two separate occasions, they just had busted coverage and gave up huge long plays to Louisiana Tech for easy, long touchdown throws. A third one happened too, but I'm kind of negating it because it was garbage time minutes and no starters were in the game. But who you really want to look out for is Tyron Hopper. He's a transfer from the Florida Gators, and he was all over the field Saturday. And I expect him to be Missouri's strongest defender in the linebacker core against K-State. Missouri's going into this season with really low expectations. We don't know what we've got. We don't know that we're going to be bad. I and mean, We're not necessarily saying we're going to go 4-8, and eight, but we also have completely unproven talent. Everybody's young. It's a complete team turnover from last season. Tyler Beatty, the team star, is now gone, but they have a lot of firepower at wide receiver. If, like I said, Brady Cook, our new starting quarterback, can get these guys the ball, they are fast. They will get 50-50 balls. They're going to be trouble. And Look out for Nathaniel Pete. He is a running back. He's from Columbia, Missouri originally, signed with Stanford, has come back to Mizzou, and uh, the running back position was a big question mark. In week one, he looked to be the clear number one running back. He's big, he's strong, he's fast, and if head coach Eli Drinkwitz uses the running game at all, Nathaniel Pete is the one who's going to be eating up yards. If they can successfully work in the running game and get Luther Burden the ball, Missouri's going to score some points, and it's going to be their best chance of getting a W. Things Kansas State can look out for to get the win. Those problems in the secondary, lack of communication, guys biting on play action and giving up long, easy, quick touchdowns. Louisiana Tech had an 85-yard touchdown pass that was just way too easy. If Kansas State can keep Missouri secondary confused, they'll be able to cruise to a win. The other thing I think that Kansas State can exploit Missouri's offensive line did not look particularly strong in week one. Brady Cook's biggest strength we've seen so far is he is a mobile quarterback and can scramble. But if your defensive line has a lot of pressure, he's going to have to scramble. And that's going to obviously make it a lot tougher to get our star, Luther Burden, the football. So if you can put pressure on the line defensively, and if you can confuse our secondary, you're going to have a good shot at this game. 
I host a Missouri podcast, so I'm going to have to choose my Tigers to win, but I do think it's going to be a close one, and I think uh, I'm going to say something like 31-27. That is just pulling something straight out of the old poop chute, but, you know, it's week two. We haven't seen a lot of these teams. i got to root for my Tigers. That's what I'm going to go with. So again, my name is Brendan Anthony. I'm co-host of the Mazodcast with my brother Colin and Caleb Bungart, popularly known as Caleb the Greek for his spot-on betting picks. We're as much a gambling show as we are a football show. And if you'd like to get into absolutely meaningless pissing matches on Twitter with us, you can find us at Mizodcast at M-I-Z-Z-O-D-C-A-S-T, and we'd be happy to waste big portions of our lives scrapping about football teams that neither you nor I play on. But that's what college football season's all about. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday, Wildcats. M-I-Z. Thank you again to Brendan over at the Mazad cast. Again, check them out. Again, everyone knows uh, from my intro of the game review my very theatric, uh, you know, dislike from our for our friends out in Missouri. But Brendan and his Motley crew do a great podcast, so check them out this week. There can never be enough good podcasts, never enough. All right, uh, we're going to now get into the Big Twelve game of the week. So everyone who is anyone knows about the 1012 network in the flagship show the 1012 pod well in case you missed it in case you've been under a rock sports drink and the 1012 network are now joined they are now one so what better way to continue this friendship this love affair and especially now that I am, we are, the Bonehead Collective. We are all part of the 1012 Network as well as Sports Drink. We need a Big 12 game of the week, a little primer for that biggest game of the week. And this week we are highlighting the Baylor versus BYU game, a future Big 12 matchup. So we have Matt from the Between Two Bears podcast inside the 1012 Network to deliver that for you. So I'm going to kick it to him before I come back, preview the Wildcat Roundup, and get you all on your way on this beautiful Thursday. This is Matt Isbear of OurDailyBears.com and the Between Two Bears podcast on the 1012 Network. And I am thrilled to bring you the Big 12 Game of the Week. Baylor travels for the first time this season into the rowdy confines of Lavelle Edwards Stadium, breaking in a new full-time starter in Blake Shapin and numerous other pieces on the offense. Baylor also lost three NFL players from last year's defense. Can Baylor get a win against BYU in Provo? I'll admit, in the weeks leading up to just yesterday, my confidence was a performance at best. Baylor hasn't traveled well in recent history, and BYU is a solid, if not dangerous, offense, putting up a casual 50-burger last week in Florida against USF. But after a thorough breakdown of the 2021 matchup in Waco, I have a different perspective. Last year's tilt ended in a 38-24 victory for the Bears, and there were a few concrete reasons why. 
Despite a shaky start on offense, Baylor hunkered down and proceeded to run the ball for 6.9 yards a carry in the second half. Even diagnosed run plays usually went for three yards minimum. And if you were wondering if it was Abram Smith creating most of that yardage, I hand-counted only three to four times Smith needed to break a tackle. While Gary Bohannon had his moments in a Baylor uniform, you can't include his performance against the Cougars as one of them. Bohannon threw one atrocious end-zone interception, and probably should have been picked off twice more. Blake Shapin has less apprehension for testing the back end of a defense, and plainly, just more arm talent. This receiving core is new, absolutely, but it contains just as much physical talent, if not more. Monterey Baldwin and Hal Presley both reeled in beautiful deep shots from Shapin last week, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Seth Jones and running back Tay McWilliams even more involved in the passing attack. Defensively, Baylor faces the same dynamic receiving duo in Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney. Nakua torched the Baylor secondary last year for 166 yards and a touchdown. Gunnar Romney also had three very impactful receptions for 84 yards. So why am I so confident? Because that was it. Those were the only aerial threats Baylor faced, and most of the damage came at the expense of then-senior cornerback Raleigh Tejada. Al Walcott, now a starter in this defense, was able to contain Nakua for the entire third quarter once subbed in. All of this fails to mention what is maybe the strongest position group on the entire Baylor roster, the defensive line. Gabe Hall, Garmin Randolph, Siaki Ika, and more put immense pressure on Jaron Hall last season, and since all three and more return, I would expect similar results. The combination of a relentless running attack, a new quarterback with a very short memory and tons of arm talent, and a defense that will duplicate the pressure applied to Jaron Hall last year, leads me to say that this game will go Baylor's way. Account for the hostile environment, and I think Baylor takes this one 35-21. If you want more reflection on Big 12 sports topics, such as a special teams coach with a girlfriend who has a monkey that bites a child, and other similar subjects, please check us out at Between Two Bears on Twitter and on the 1012 Network. Sick'em Bears. And for the final time in this whip around, I am back. Thank you again to Matt giving us our Big 12 game of the week. Before we get it to Ace Edwards for the Wildcat Roundup, remember, check out our great sponsors, Manhattan Brewing Company. I tell you what, I had their Kolsch earlier today, and it is another just delicious beer because it's not quite full fall weather yet it's still a little sticky out still a little hot out but it's that perfect balance a little bit of malt a little bit of refreshingness folks they have everything you could ever want over at manhattan brewing company so go check them out get a couple pints then take a four pack to your tailgate remember stan weber is holding a very fun event there on friday so if you're in town Check that out. Also, Charlie Hustle with their brand new Catterday script shirts, as well as the vintage throwback Kansas State football shirt. And the deuce is loose now in youth sizes. All right, before we get to Ace with the Wildcat Roundup, I told him to uh, send it over to me earlier in the day uh, before the K-State Missouri volleyball game was played. That was wrapped up. K-State won in five sets, taking down 
Missouri taking the first two sets. Missouri fights back, gets the next two, and it went to five sets, and K-State got the dub. It was a very gritty win. Lauren Hinkle was banged up, not 100% at setter, played through the entire game. Aaliyah Carter only really played in that first set, getting two kills. Um, Susie Fritz, after the match, said that it was because the uh, true freshman, Myers, was just having a hot game. She had, I think she was just one uh, block away from a double-double. She had double-digit kills. Uh, and then Baca, the transfer from St. Mary's, she's from Greece, I believe, a uh, two two sport volleyball player. She also was a scholarship uh, sand volleyball player at St. Mary's. Also had a massive game. She has had a huge impact on this young season. K State improving to six and one. So I just wanted to get that little breakdown, that little declaration of the win over Mizzou because I told Ace, hey, just go ahead and send it over today when you get a chance. But since I watched that, I watched the majority of that five-set match, I wanted to make sure that our volleyball girls, led by Susie Fritz, off to a very hot start, gets their love. Again, they're going to have to ramp up and get ready for Big 12 play where it's coming down later this fall. Okay, so... Before I send it to Ace, be sure to download and listen to the live show tomorrow on Friday. If you want to listen to the live show early, if you want to participate in the live show, be sure to be checking Twitter. Be sure to be checking Spotify Live, 7 p.m. Wednesday in God's time zone. But that's enough of me. It's time to go to one half of my favorite K-State podcast, Ace Edwards of the Aggieville Alleycats. Hello, hello to all the K-State fans, and more importantly, the boneheads of the world. My name is Ace Edwards from the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, a friend and colleague of Scott's and Bosco's boys in the K-State podcasting game, and I'm here to deliver to all of the lovely boneheads the weekly roundup, where it covers all of the non-rev happenings within the last week. So without any further delay, let's go ahead and dive straight into all of the lovely roundup news that we have today. The first thing that we're going to be covering today is women's soccer, and the first game of the previous week was another battle between two Purple Wildcat teams, the second on K-State's schedule this year, and that was the Weber State Wildcats in Ogden, Utah last Thursday. The contest resulted in a 1-0 victory in favor of the Kansas State Wildcats. And it was a solid victory for K-State, who ended up outshooting Weber State 10-2 in the second half and got off six more shots total than Weber State throughout the entire game, as well as two more shots on goal. The lone goal of the day belongs to Marissa Weichel, her first goal of the year, and this pushed the Wildcats to their second victory of the year in what has been an up-and-down season, we'll call it, for the Kansas State soccer team. In terms of the second game of the week, the second game of the previous week comes in the form of another Power 5 matchup and another Big 10 opponent in the Purdue Boilermakers, with the game being played in Manhattan in Boozier Family Park with the brand new beautiful video board. But unfortunately, your Kansas State Wildcats fell to the Boilermakers 1-2, and the first non-conference Power 5 victory for the soccer team has eluded them once more. 
In this game, K-State actually nearly tripled the shot output of Purdue's 19-7, as well as more doubling their shots on goal with 12 compared to Purdue's 5. But unfortunately, only one of those could find the back of the net, based largely off of the incredible 11 Purdue saves. The lone goal for K-State came off of the leg of Kyler Goins in her third goal of the year. This moved the Kansas State Wildcats soccer team to 2-3-1 and one going into this week's upcoming matchup. The next and lone game for the Soccer Cats for the rest of this week is Friday, September 9th in Boozier Family Park. It is senior day for the Wildcats, so they'll be looking for a victory up against the Yale Bulldogs, who enter the contest 3-0-1 on the year. You can watch this game on Big 12 Now or on ESPN+, or show up to the park yourself and celebrate not only Senior Night, but Dollar Night as well. So be sure to show up to support the Soccer Cats and get pretty cheap and solid concessions as well. That pretty much wraps up the soccer recap for the previous week, but now we can move into the volleyball recap. The volleyball team has been having an excellent season up to this point, and this was a trend that would continue in their trip down Orlando to participate in the UCF Challenge, University of Central Florida. And the first matchup they had was up against the fellow Power 5 opponent, Syracuse Orange. It was a close matchup, at least in terms of sets, but K-State managed to get a victory 3-1 and and keep their perfect record up to this point. The major storyline for the volleyball team is, well, the major storyline for this game, and this match rather, as well. It continues to be the excellent play of both Olea Carter, who had 20 kills, and Elena Baca, the transfer from St. Mary's, who had 17 kills. This also moved K-State to 4-0 on the year, moving into their next game of the tournament. The next game of the tournament for the K-State Volleycats was up against North Florida, who K-State ended up defeating 3-0, although the first set was considerably tighter than the rest of them, ending in a score of 30-28. This was a more complete team victory, with the most kills again belonging to Elena Baca with 14. It was nevertheless a more balanced attack that didn't require any one player or two players to go head above shoulders in everyone else. This moved K-State to 5-0 entering their final game of the UCF Challenge against UCF themselves. The final game against the Golden Knights on their home court unfortunately resulted in K-State falling 2-3 in what was a remarkably close match. UCF entered the match 1-0 and handed K-State their first loss of the year. With that said, it was still a valiant effort by the Volley Cats, with Elena Baca earning 19 kills and Aaliyah Cartier returning to form and getting 18 kills. Like I said earlier, this moved K-State to 5-1 on the season, going into their next game. And in terms of honors earned by the Volley Cats team, there were two members of the Volley Cats that earned all UCF Challenge team honors, that being Elena Baca and Mackenzie Morris, both earning their special places on the team. As for who we're playing this week, the next game will have actually already happened by the time it releases, and it's a matchup against an old conference foe in Missouri. The Tires come to Manhattan and enter the contest 4-2 in what should be a contested matchup and a very, very good match between two solid volleyball squads. Outside of the matchup that has already happened, this weekend, K-State Volleyball will spend the weekend in Chicago to participate in the Rambler Challenge and will face off against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers, and the St. Thomas 
St. Thomas Tommies. Go to kstatesports.com to find out more information on where to watch or listen, as well as you can use kstatesports.com, I almost guarantee it, to listen to each game as it happens. Because as of right now, the only game marked as being on ESPN Plus is K-State up against Loyola Chicago. Finally, the final game between episodes and between the next weekly roundup is the K-State matchup up against the University of Missouri-Kansas City Kangaroos, or just the Roos, next Wednesday in Kansas City, a game that will be broadcast on kcroos.com, that's K-C-R-O-O-S.com, as well as broadcast over the radio on K-Man. Well, thank you all so much, and that's my time, folks. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Scott for having me on the show. If you want to listen to more of me talking all things K-State sports, please be sure to listen to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast with me and my wonderful co-host, Connor Balthazar, where our specialty is non-revenue coverage as well as in-depth scouting reports on whoever the football opponent may be for the given week. Obviously, for this week, we have a very, very in-depth scouting report for the matchup against the Missouri Tigers in the Bill, in Bill Snyder Family Stadium this Saturday. So please be sure to give that one a listen. We think you'll love it. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's Aggieville Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I am at acedward 0 That's A C E. D-W-A-R-D-S-0-0. Thank you all so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, stay safe, boneheads, and go Cats! Hail to the purple, hail to the white, wildcat in spirit, wildcat in to see onward forever hail victory bottom 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 fight uk state wildcats for alma mater fights glory in the combat for the purple and the white faithful to our colors we will ever be a fighting, ever fighting for a wildcat victory. Fight, 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 fight. You can't stay wildcats for all my mother. Fight, 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 fight. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors, we will ever be fighting, ever fighting for a wildcat victory. Go stay.
Social Podcast Network.